We have our new Pew Bibles in place, and you'll notice that in the Pew Bibles there is a bookmark. Uh, that bookmark uh, is just a, a, a way of us also communicating the ways that you can get involved or the ways that you can grow uh, here at Emmanuel. Uh, so if you are free to take that bookmark if you'd like, although I do have to admit we don't quite have ribbons enough for all the bookmarks, so the Bibles in the back don't have bookmarks yet, but they will. They're coming. Uh, there's also on there a, uh, a QR code that you can take a picture of, which would be more ideal. Uh, that'll take you to a link uh, that has all the ways to serve and the ways to grow here at Emmanuel. Uh, that's just a way of communicating that uh, to the congregation or to visitors if you're with us today. Um, our passage this morning is on page 976 of the Pew Bibles. We're looking at Matthew chapter 15, verse 29, through Matthew chapter 16, verse 12. Either everybody's there or these Bibles don't make as loud of a leafing nap noise. Okay. Well, hear the word of the Lord. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. And he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them. So that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, Where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. And after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, When it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it amongst themselves, saying, We brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, Oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not yet remember the five loaves? 
for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. This is the word of the Lord. Well, last week we um, looked at the story of the Canaanite woman uh, who came to Jesus begging for mercy and pleading with him uh, to heal her daughter who was oppressed uh, by a demon. And Jesus tested her faith. And if you were here with us last week, he tested her faith in such a way that made us all a, a little uncomfortable. But in the end, her faith proved so genuine that Jesus said, Oh woman, great is your faith. So what made her faith great? Well, her faith was great because she knew that Jesus is merciful. She knew that Jesus is powerful. And she knew that Jesus is good. And that he's good to everyone. And in spite of the fact that she had no claim on the promises of Israel, she knew that because of Jesus' mercy and his power and his goodness, that he could and that he would be merciful to her too. And so how different would our lives be if we lived every day with complete confidence that Jesus is merciful, powerful, and good And if we were aware just how much we need his mercy and his power and his goodness every single day. We would trust that his law is really good for us. And that his commands are not burdensome. We would not be anxious or afraid because no matter the difficulties that we face in life, we would know that God and his power and his goodness was bringing them into our life for a reason. The Huddleberg Catechism says that God so rules heaven and earth and all creatures that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things, in fact, come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. All things in life, good or bad, come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. And great faith, like that of the Canaanite woman, understands, <clears throat> understands this. Hold up. Great faith is content with a crumb from the master's table. Because the person with great faith knows that that crumb is coming from his fatherly hand. And that a crumb from the master's table is all that we need. But what if we don't yet have great faith? What if, like the disciples in our passage today, we have little faith? We believe God is merciful and powerful and good... We believe that God can and will be good to us no matter what. But we still fall into sin. 
We still doubt. We're afraid and anxious. Jesus praised the Canaanite woman for having great faith, but how will he treat me if I'm full of doubts and fears? And how can I grow to have great faith? And is there a danger in only having a little faith? To help us understand those questions this morning, first we're going to look at the character of Jesus, and then the character of unbelief, and finally the character of little faith. So our story begins this morning first with the character of Jesus on display again. Uh, Last week we met the Canaanite woman, and Jesus and his disciples were up in Gentile territory in Tyre and Sidon, and our story today takes place in Gentile territory as well. We read... Jesus went on from there, and he walked beside the Sea of Galilee, and he went up on the mountain and sat down there, and great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and they put them at his feet, and he healed them, so that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel." So when we read about Jesus walking alongside uh, the Sea of Galilee, we typically think that he's back in his hometown and that what he's doing is he's walking by the Sea of Galilee in Capernaum. Uh, But there's two reasons we know that he's in Gentile territory here. Uh, The first one is that, uh, well, first of all, for those of you who might not know what a Gentile is, uh, a Gentile is anybody who's not a Jew. Uh, The Jews considered every other race of people in the entire world to be Gentiles, okay? So like I said, there's two reasons why we know this is Gentile territory here. The first is when Mark tells us this story, uh, he tells us that Jesus uh, went to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And the Decapolis literally means 10 cities, and it was a Gentile territory on the west side of the Sea of Galilee, okay? The other reason we know that this is Gentile territory is uh, their response to Jesus in verse 31. We're told they glorified the God of Israel. They didn't glorify their God, right? They glorified the God of Israel. So even though Jesus just told the Canaanite woman that he was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel, yet here he is with more Gentiles, and he's doing everything that he's been doing for Israel all along. In verse 29, we're told that he went up on the mountain and sat down. And this reminds us of the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. So he's here teaching the Gentiles. And he's healing them too, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and the mute. Have you ever walked through a hospital where it was so full of patients that they had to put people in beds out in the hallway? If you ever went to an emergency room that was just so packed with the crippled and the sick and the lame that you wondered, if I come in here, I don't know if I'm ever going to get treated. That that was the crowd that was being brought to Jesus. This is one of the reasons we know that so-called faith healers are frauds, because the hospitals and the emergency rooms are full of people just like this. And yet here Jesus is healing them all. And we're told that they wondered That word could be translated marveled. What Jesus was doing right before their eyes was marvelous. 
And not only that, but this is a three-day-long event. Matthew goes on. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now three days and have nothing to eat, and I am unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. So Jesus has compassion on the crowd because he's merciful. He's unwilling to send them away hungry because he's good. And he's about to display his power again by feeding this entire crowd as well. And even though he was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel, here he is teaching and healing Gentiles too because his mercy and his goodness and his power are not restricted to anyone. There's not a single human being on this planet, no matter their sex, no matter their race, no matter their class, who is outside of the mercy and the goodness and the power of God. And notice Jesus doesn't ask the disciples to do anything. If you remember the first time when he fed 5,000, he said to the disciples, you give them something to eat. But here he just makes a matter-of-fact statement, almost as if he's testing them to see what they will say. And then we're told, And the disciples said to him, Where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? Now, if you remember, it was only a few days ago, they were in Jewish territory, and Jesus fed a crowd of 5,000, not counting women and children. And now he's got a crowd almost the same size. It's the same situation, except now they've been out here for three days. There's no towns nearby for them to go to and find food. The place is so desolate that if they go to get food, they're going to faint along the way. You would think the disciples would say, huh, you know what, Jesus? Two days ago, you fed a crowd just like this. You can do that again. We have no idea why they didn't respond that way. There's no way they forgot Perhaps they don't understand how good and merciful he is. And these are Gentiles, after all. Maybe they don't deserve a miracle like that. Aren't the crumbs for the Gentiles? Perhaps they doubt his power. Maybe a miracle like that was only a one-time event. So how does Jesus respond to this lack of understanding? Well, he just patiently and graciously proves himself again. We're told, and Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? They said seven and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples. The disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over, those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. So just like the feeding of the 5,000, he took, he gave thanks, he broke, he gave, but this time to a crowd of Gentiles. Last week, the Canaanite woman was satisfied with a crumb from the master's table, and Jesus wants us to know that the, that the Gentiles are invited to the feast too. 
Last time there were 12 baskets left over symbolizing the abundance available for the 12 tribes of Israel. This time there's seven baskets left over symbolizing the abundance available for the complete and perfect number of God's people. Jew and Gentile are all invited to come and eat and be satisfied. So, is this the Jesus we know? The one who is infinitely merciful and powerful and good? Matthew goes on and says, After sending away the crowd, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. So now Jesus sends the crowd away, and then he gets into a boat by himself, and he goes to a place called Magadan. And no one is really sure where exactly Magadan is, but it's back on the other side of the Sea of Galilee in Jewish territory. And here we're going to see the character of unbelief. So there's a couple reasons we're confident that Magadan is back in Jewish territory. Uh, the first one is that this may be another name for Magdala, where Mary Magdalene is from. Uh, and the other reason is, is that Jesus is going to run into uh, some Pharisees and some Sadducees, uh, two groups of people who would never be found outside of Israel. And we read, And the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. <laughs> so this is the second time in only a few verses where we kind of want to just drop our hands, <laughs> our face into our hands and shake our head. First, the disciples are wondering where they're going to get bread to feed a large crowd, even though they're with Jesus, who, who has proved to them that he can take bread and feed a large crowd. And now the Pharisees and Sadducees are asking for a sign from heaven, and all Jesus has been doing is signs from heaven. He's healing people. He's casting out demons. He's raising the dead. He's calming storms. He's feeding giant crowds. But this is what unbelief is like. This is the character of unbelief. It ignores all the evidence God has given us to believe because none of that is the evidence it wants. Unbelief doesn't think it needs God's mercy or unbelief doesn't think God is good or unbelief wants proof from God of his power. It wants a sign from heaven. But Jesus won't give them a sign. And so they're confirmed in their unbelief. If he really wanted us to believe him, they tell themselves, then he would give us the sign we're asking for. So it's his fault that we don't believe in him. Because he hasn't given them the right kind of evidence. This is the person who demands a voice from heaven or an airtight philosophical argument. They demand scientific proof of the resurrection. They want to see an amputee grow a limb if they're ever going to believe. But Jesus answered them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the time. If anyone could interpret the signs of the times, it was these men who knew their Bibles. Jesus is saying, I'm not going to give you a sign. You have all the evidence you need. Then he goes on, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, 
but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. So if an evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign, it must mean that a holy and faithful generation doesn't need one. And that's because we have the one sign we need, which is the sign of Jonah. A sign of Jonah is his death and resurrection. Just like Jonah spent three days in the belly of a whale, Jesus is going to spend three days in the belly of the earth. Just like Jonah came out of the well, Jesus is going to rise again to new life. Just like the men of Nineveh repented when Jonah preached 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed, Christianity is going to explode across the world through the preaching of the gospel. The sign of Jonah tells us that God is so merciful and he loves sinners so much that he was willing to make a way for our sins to be forgiven. The sign of Jonah tells us that God is so good and that he loves sinners so much that he was willing to come and suffer and die in our place. And the sign of Jonah tells us that God is so powerful that he left heaven and the person of Jesus Christ and became one of us. And that he lived a perfectly sinless life and then laid down his life willingly. And even though he had the power to call down legions of angels to save himself, instead he had the power of restraint and he chose to willingly let himself go to the cross. And then he had the power to rise from the dead. And the truth is no evidence is enough for someone who doesn't want to believe and only the gospel has the power to make someone believe. It is the sign. It tells us Jesus had to die to forgive us, but that God loved us so much he was willing to die in our place. Perfect justice and perfect mercy on display at the exact same time at the cross. And this is all the evidence we need to know God's mercy and power and goodness. We don't need something emotional. We don't need something miraculous. We don't need scientific or historical or philosophical proof. Although God meets us in our emotions. <laughs> he does. He gives us signs. He gives us the bread and the wine and the waters of baptism. There is compelling historical and scientific evidence for God and for the resurrection. But scripture tells us that it is the good news that God loves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. So even though the Pharisees and Sadducees disagree about religion and politics, they are united in their unbelief. So what is the character of little faith? Matthew goes on. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, we brought no bread. So here the disciples are. They're with Jesus again. The guy who just fed two huge crowds now. And they're still worried about not having enough bread. So Jesus tells them to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. 
And his disciples think he's talking about bread from the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And so their response to him is, Jesus, we don't have any bread. You don't got to worry. We don't have their bread because we have no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, Oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I do not speak about bread? So first, Jesus reminds them, you do not have to be concerned about bread. You're with me. He has to remind them that he has just fed two large crowds with only a few loaves of bread. And in both cases, how many baskets were left over? And then he says, Oh, you of little faith. Remember, the Canaanite woman had great faith. She had no doubt about Jesus' mercy and his power and his goodness. And the disciples did believe Jesus is merciful, powerful, and good. They just didn't totally understand yet how merciful and powerful and good Jesus is. And aren't we just like this? When we sin, we doubt his mercy. When life is hard, we doubt his power or his goodness. They didn't yet understand that his mercy extends to all people, Jews or not. They didn't understand yet just how much of his mercy for forgiveness and grace that they needed. They didn't quite understand yet that he is God in the flesh and that he is the same person who created all things and is holding them all together right now by the word of his power. They probably didn't understand yet just how perfect and infinitely good he is. But he's patient with them. Just like he is with you and me. He reminds them of his power and his goodness. You see, because little faith, right, it's like a, it's like a barely burning candle, right? And Jesus comes and he nourishes us. Right? He, he, he gives us the air that we need to breathe to nourish that flame and to get it going again. Whereas unbelief is totally opposite. And then Jesus repeats himself. He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So Jesus tells them to beware of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees, which he compares to leaven. And leaven, as most people know, is this very small ingredient. It's usually yeast or it comes in baking soda. And it's the thing that goes into bread and it causes it to rise and become fluffy. And the idea here is that when it gets into a batch of dough, it will spread through and affect the entire piece of dough. And Jesus is telling them to beware of the Pharisees and the Sadducees' teaching so that it doesn't get into them and spread through their hearts and minds. Now, why would Jesus warn the disciples about the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees? First of all, their teaching was completely different. The Pharisees were people 
who believed in the entire Old Testament. They believed in the resurrection of the dead, and they were against the Roman occupation. The Sadducees were people who only believed in the first five books of Moses. They didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead, and they were for the Roman occupation. Their religious teaching and their political teaching couldn't be more different. So Jesus doesn't mean their actual teaching here. What he means is the one thing they all agreed on, which is unbelief in Jesus, doubting his mercy, his goodness, and his power. And so why would Jesus be warning his disciples about the Pharisees and the Sadducees' teaching? It's because the person with little faith is susceptible to the kind of doubt the Pharisees and Sadducees can sow in their minds. This is what happened to Judas. The disciples had seen Jesus feed two large crowds of people with a few loaves of bread, and yet they're with Jesus, and they're still worried about not having enough bread. And so Jesus warns them to beware of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You see, how many times have we done this? If we look back in our lives, God's always been faithful, even when we've not been faithful. And yet we worry about whether or not he's going to provide for us. Or whether or not his commands are really good for us. Jesus wants us to know that's little faith. That's not great faith like the Canaanite woman had. And little faith leaves the door open for the leaven of unbelief to get inside. If we always forget about the mercy, power, and goodness of Jesus every time some new difficulty comes into our lives, then we're susceptible to the idea that maybe this time Jesus isn't good. Maybe this time Jesus isn't powerful enough. Maybe this time Jesus won't forgive me. So how do we grow from someone who has little faith into someone who has great faith? Well, only God can grow our faith. But the means he's given us begins by growing in the grace and knowledge of God. Notice Jesus responds to his disciples' doubts and lack of understanding by patiently and lovingly teaching them about himself and then warning them about the dangers of being someone with little faith. And Jesus opens our mind to know his word and to understand the world more and more through a biblical lens. He grows us in our faith by reminding us over and over again by the love of God to us through the sign of Jonah. It is the good news of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that brings us to faith, keeps us in the faith, and grows us in our faith. And then there's the ordinary means of grace, the bread, the wine, baptism, prayer, the preaching of God's word. These are God's gift to us because of all that Christ has done. And finally, he gives us the grace to live as if all God said is true. And the more we put the wisdom of Scripture ahead of our own wisdom, the more our faith grows as well. And as we trust him, we will grow in our understanding of his mercy and his power and his goodness. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we're thankful that you're patient with us with our little faith, that you instruct us and teach us and you grow us. A faintly burning candle or a bruised reed you will not break. You have promised that to us, God. And so we pray that you would be gentle with us and gracious with us and kind with us as we see you being 
to your disciples here. We pray, Father, that we would always know your mercy and your goodness and your power, and that you would grow us in the confidence of that reality. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.